Welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. This podcast is dedicated to helping attorneys earn more money, get better clients, and spend more time with family. I'm your host, Alej Yajnik, founder of Law Firm Success Group. Smart business guidance for small law firms begins in three, two, one. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage once again, Steve Fretzen, my friend and colleague, the president of Fretzen Inc. Steve is the podcast host of the Be That Lawyer podcast, which has way over 20,000 downloads by now. He's just killing it. He is recently the international best-selling author of a book called Legal Business Development Isn't Rocket Science. Steve, welcome to Lawyer Business Advantage. Thanks, Alay. Great to be back. Thank you so much. Wonderful having you here. It's always refreshing to have you on. And you're promoting lots of good news for lawyers today because legal business development isn't rocket science, which is wonderful for the attorneys to hear. What inspired you to write that book? So I'm, well, what inspired me to write the book is quite frankly, just all the content that I'm producing needed to be put into one place. And so, uh, you know, we talk about repurposing this book wasn't written in a, in, a, in a month. This book was written over six years. So it's 50 plus of my best articles all in one place, all in one book from marketing to business development to networking, you name it. It's kind of in there. So that's that's what put that together. And the title was my client saying after working with me, you know, Steve, when all is said and done, you know, this isn't rocket science. I go, I, I never claimed it was. <laughs> I never claimed it was. It doesn't make it easy and it doesn't make it something that lawyers necessarily enjoy doing. Uh, however, it's all learnable, right? It's all workable, learnable stuff, right, Alay? So um, that's really how the, uh, the kind of the title came to be as well. And it is chock full of uh, of lots of interesting ideas and specific practical tips that people can apply, whether you're a long, young lawyer or a woman attorney or a man attorney. There's lots of different things in there. And I love how you've put that together. Um, one of the things that I think will come as a breath of relief to the attorneys that are listening here is there is a chapter called Taking Selling Out of Client prospecting. And I know they are interested to hear more about that because one of the big fears that attorneys have is, oh my God, I don't want to be that attorney who is just kind of like this you know, sleazy, pushy person. I don't want to get into business development because it's too salesy. Um, love to hear about your, your thoughts and why you wrote this chapter. Yeah. So the reason that I got, because I'm not a lawyer lay, right? Either are you, Right. So, right. so how did we get into this industry? Right. Well, one of the things that pulled me into it was the understanding that lawyers don't have a background in learning business development. So it's not taught in law school. It's not taught at the law firm level generally across the board. Right. So, and lawyers don't like sales and being salesy or being sold to. So I had been working with entrepreneurs for years on this model called sales free selling which is where you can go into a meeting to with a prospective client and never have to sell yet get the business. So how does that work? Well, lawyers go on what are called pitch meetings, as you know, and that's all about going in and sharing their knowledge and sharing their advice and talking about their rates and talking about their, their firm and their cases that they've won and, and doing free consulting to show that they understand the case and they understand they could, they would be the best attorney to handle it. But what ends up happening is that buyers have become more sophisticated. So what they do is they take that information, then they can shop it, then they can do it with their existing firm, 
they can hold off and wait for six months. And so the lawyer who thinks this was the best meeting he or she's ever had kind of leaves thinking it's great. And then then crickets, right? Then then there's the then the Houdini happens. Like, why aren't they returning my emails? Why aren't they responding? Right. Yeah. The model that I teach is how do you run a meeting like that where you know what's going on, not hope that something good is going to happen. You actually know what's going to happen because they tell you. So it's being honest and having a real meeting with a real person and getting everything on the table so that you don't have to wonder what's going to happen next. So the pitch meeting you described sounds like an attorney's worst nightmare. You know, there's a lot of attorneys out there who think that the way that they sell is by talking about how much they know. And when they walk into one of these meetings, their whole role there is to lay it all out. Like, here are all the issues. Here are the things you have to think about. Here are the issues that you should look for. And you're right. They come out of that meeting thinking they're doing amazingly well. And now what you're telling me is that that is a sign that they are going to fall flat on their face. And so I can hear attorney entrepreneurs really getting concerned about that because that's how they approach it. How is your approach different? Yeah. So the idea is that it's not that we're it's not that we're not going to pitch at any point. There's a there's a time and a place for that. However, if you think about going into a doctor's office in LA, let's say that your arm is really hurting to the point where you can't even lift it. Okay. And the doctor takes one look at you and says, Your arm is hurting. You say, Yes, that's why I'm in here today. And he says, Well, let's just cut it off. Let's just get rid of it. That way we don't have to worry about your arm anymore. You don't have to worry about it. Everything's solved. So what's the problem? Well, prescription happened before diagnosis. So the mantra that I teach my clients is a way to always keep sales-free selling top of mind is prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. And nobody wants to, to have the malpractice. So we're going we're gonna to say, let's diagnose first and prescribe later only if and when we have somebody. I mean, to the point where I had a perfectly strong prospect an hour ago that I was talking to, I worked her through my process and guess what the end result was? She's not going to hire me because she's already in another coaching program and between the money and the time, there's no way she's going to do both. So I didn't launch into, here's what I do. Here's why it's great. Here's what this and sell, sell, sell. It would have been a waste of my breath and it would have been a waste of time. I rather ask her the questions, understand what's really going on with her. There is a need for me, but there was a disqualification along the way on time and money that's not going to allow us to proceed so it allows me to chill out enjoy the enjoy the process of getting to know her what her needs are and identifying if there's a fit and if there isn't be okay with it, it, it you make a friend and so that's really the the gist of what it is now if we want to break it down into actual steps we can do that but the the goal is to get everything on the table so we know what's going on versus talking through it and not knowing anything yeah, I, I love that approach. And built into that, and I know you're, you're a big fan of this as well, is the idea of process. So tell us a little bit about how having a process for this, you know, the pitch meeting happens at the right time, but how having a process for your sales approach or your business development approach can really help things. Yeah. So again, the idea that we're going to meet with somebody who has a legal need, if we're lawyers, right? And, and we're going to just have a meeting, you know, just wing it. Let's just, let's just talk and see what happens. Let's just, let's just, you know, talk and talk through the whole thing. And, and I'll end up talking 80% of the time and that prospect will talk 20 and I'll end up, you know, overselling myself. And, and, and again, at the end, the chances that that prospect's going to say, 
you know, Steve, I think you're terrific. This sounds great. You've you've given me a lot of great ideas to think about. You know, let me get back to you in a week or two. Let me let me give this some thought. I think that's great as a lawyer, right? But in reality, what they're saying is, no, I'm not going to be using you. I'm not going to tell you that because that's not the way we we work in our society. I'd rather not give you the bad news. Let me just sort of fade away into the distance and hope that you slowly go away or just quickly go away. Because even though I like you, I'm not going to do business with you for a number of reasons and we'll just let it go at that. So that's what happens when you don't have a process. When you do have a process, then you've got a structure that you can get buy-in to that structure from the prospective client, which allows you to run the process, which is a benefit to both parties leading to a potential win-win. If it isn't a win-win, you don't have to proceed. A good out, The best outcome, Alay, is yes. Let's work together. It all makes sense. It's a perfect fit. The second best way a meeting can end is it's a no, like it happened for me today. There wasn't a fit. You can't pay for two competing coaches and in the time and the efforts that go into that. Let's not proceed. Let me be a resource to you. Let me be a friend to you. Maybe you know, you'll know you think kindly of me in the future or whatever. And I sent her a copy of my book and I, I'm going to send her possibly to Gary Johnson. I just sent him an email because I think that there might be a fit there. And that's, that's how I'm being a value add, but it's not someone I'm going to continue to pursue. So I save that time of the chase. So I keep my pipeline very thin, but it's thin with quality, uh, quality perspective clients, not thick with a bunch of maybes, think about it, and I'll get back to you. That's really just trash. It's really not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And that that approach makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's an approach that, that you know most of us use these days, but attorneys often don't. Um, and one of I think one of the challenges that they have is they don't know how to uh, qualify out a client, a prospective client. What are some tips that you have for them to say, okay, if I'm looking for criteria to exclude people, what how do I put that together? Yeah. So I would say there's four key qualifiers that I teach my clients that really make a difference between them being in the chase or or moving someone to a no in the friendliest possible way and staying friends. And it means a no for now or maybe a no forever. But either way, you're 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 getting your billable hours back and you're getting clarity, which is really what I think people want. They just want to know. Just tell me, you know, what's going on. So number one is what are the reasons that they're going to leave their existing firm to go with you? What's their reasoning for engaging a lawyer? Is it just for their health? Is it just for because they they have nothing else to do with their money? Right? Probably not. They need to have a real reason to hire a lawyer. Just like with you and I, a lawyer needs a real reason to engage us. Right? It's not just to kick tires. It's we want to identify that not only are there apparent reasons, I mean, things they might tell you all the time, like Alay, you and I probably hear, um, I'm not getting you know, enough business in the door, or I'm not, uh, I don't have a plan. I'm not finding my, my, my sales efforts very efficient or effective. So we hear these things and we write them down and we go, okay, that's a good starting point. Most people would think that's an ending point. For us, it's a starting point. We want to then take those reasons and, and try to understand, are they compelling? So what does that mean? An apparent reason is I don't have a plan. A compelling reason is without a plan, I'm all over the place. I'm spinning my wheels, you know, 25, 30 hours a month, and I'm not getting anything out of it. And I feel like it's just all a big waste of time and I want to put my head in an oven. Well, that's a very different statement than maybe where we started. I don't have a plan. So 
having good questioning techniques and getting someone from what they might tell you up front to what really drives urgency, what drives change is sort of the first thing. Like if you don't qualify that, that there's urgency to change, you can expect that they're going to just give you lip service and it's going to be a transactional deal, money for service, money for you know legal services. And that's sort of the end of it. And maybe they'll do it. Maybe they won't. It's sort of a roll in the dice situation. But when you have compelling reasons and urgency, then it leads you to the second qualifier. So if they don't have the first qualifier, I'm kind of out. Like I'm not going to work with a lawyer who wants to hire me for no reason or no good reason. I want them to convince me of why we should work together and why they're going to play hard to achieve goals. That's it. That's where my that's my sweet spot, right? And yeah, no, a GC may not do that for for you every time, but the job is for you to try. It's to make an effort to get what's keeping them up at night, what their pains are, what's going to drive them to want to leave a law firm they've been with for 10 years. It isn't easy to do that. Nobody changes law firms for no reason. So you have to be the one to pull it out of them. Not only does that build trust and rapport, it builds a, a level of belief in you that you may not even realize is there without you selling yourself, right? So are we are we square on step one, like getting those compelling reasons? And it's hard to do, but it's important. We are. And I was just going to mention that digging deep is going to put most people way outside of their comfort zone. You and I do this all the time. We're used to it, but we know because we teach people how to do it. That is not easy to do. Really digging deep and uncovering that real need. It's going to be hard for you if you're if you're just starting to learn how to do it. Um, but it's absolutely critical because you're right. It builds trust. The other thing that it does, you mentioned the chase. And we have this you know, predator prey instinct and salespeople, a lot of them think that their role is to be the hunter. And the thing is, if they chase, uh, the person runs, right? And we don't want that. We want it the other way around. We want to invite them to a conversation and to really have the conversation be a great mutual interaction so that both people are feeling great about the end of it, whether the end result is yes or no. So we're good on the first part. Yeah. Okay. So we've got this, this now compelling reason, urgent reason for this GC to at least be open to change and in, in, in saying, look, the, the rates I'm paying, the service I'm not getting, the quality, the lack of responsiveness, all the things you've identified that are that are irritating that GC to no end, that's all been put on the table. So then we move to the second qualifier, which is commitment. Forget about you as the lawyer. Are they committed to making a real change? Are they committed to leaving this 10-year relationship and is this sort of a must-fix situation? Are they at the point where they can't just keep bleeding out money or, or, or their emotional energy or whatever? And so we ask a question like, and I would repeat back all their problems first. I'd say, you know, you told me you're losing sleep. You told me you can't get stuff off your desk. You told me the lawyer's giving you lip service for the last year and is just not getting the work done and, and, and always has excuses and you're just done with it. So if I'm asking if if I'm asking you this question and it seems a little crazy, I apologize, but let me just put it out there. From your from your perspective, Bob, is this really a could, a should, or really a must-fix situation at this stage? If if all that stuff has gone on ahead of time, that that GC will say this is a must-fix. If you didn't do the deep dive, the deep digging, then I would never ask that question. But that question isolates something that's really important. It's not about me getting the sale right? The lawyer getting the sale in this example, it's it's getting them to admit that this is not something that can continue. It's not fixable. It's not salvageable. Must fix is, it's it's definitive. They have to do something. They have to do something and it isn't staying the course. And that type of statement 
is a very strong buying signal to change. And that's what I'm looking for. Because if they're not willing to change a bad situation, then how long do I want to push that rope? Someone's got to verbalize to me that they're ready to change, or I know that this is just being kind of stroked along. It's not really, it's not really going to go where it, want, it should go. And by the way, if they say after all of that, well, it's probably something I should consider. Then I do a little sneaky thing called the Columbo move, which if you're under 40, you don't know what that is. If you're over 40, you know what that is. And Columbo was a detective who would play this, uh, this kind of like lost, confused character and say, you know, here, you've shared with me all these problems. And then when I ask you about making a change, you tell me it's really not that important to you. And I guess I'm just confused. Like, help me out. Help me understand what's going on here. And then magic happens. The lie comes out that that person you're talking to isn't in charge. They're not the decision maker. They don't have the money to change. They're not really able to change. They were really looking for free consulting. Something's going on. And what's the benefit of of pulling that out, of pulling that out before you've presented, before you've invested months and months and months chasing after this? Saves you a heck of a lot of time because you get to know right away. Yep. So now if we know that they've got problems, but they're not going to change, we can move them to a no, or let's say it's another decision maker. Now we can start to evaluate that and see, is that someone that we need to now get in front of in addition to this individual? And the answer is, of course, yes. More work, yes, but the right thing to do, of course. So let's assume the person says it's a must fix. I might follow it up with, and is this something you'd like my help with? And of course, the person believes in me, not because of the sales pitch, but because of the way I managed the meeting so far, the questions I've asked, the listening, the empathy, all the things that accompany good questioning, okay? And the belief that I'm the right person goes way, way up. And that's sometimes hard for lawyers to sort of visualize what I'm saying. And it's funny because when my clients use these basic level qualifying you know, skills and they come back to me and they go, Steve, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how well it worked. In fact, we were talking about our friend, Jennifer Bullock, who I think was on your show not yeah, that long yeah, ago, right? Yeah, yeah. She's a client of mine. And she was like in a sass, she would call me up and she'd say, Steve, I just locked up another deal, another new client. And guess what I didn't do? I said, you didn't pitch a thing. She goes, I didn't pitch a thing. Didn't have to say my rates. I didn't have to, I mean, none of it. It was all just after the fact because they were so bought into her and the process that she was using they just knew that she was the fit. She knew they knew they wanted to work with her. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing when that happens because the conversation is completely different. For those of you that have never had that kind of a conversation where you're asking those deep questions and really exploring way past your comfort zone, um, it's probably you know, the, the good news there is not only is it a different conversation than you've probably ever had before with a potential client, the potential client has probably never had that conversation before with an attorney either. So it's great and welcome ground for you both. And I want to just make a quick distinction here. When Steve talks about these techniques, when we go back and forth, these are X's and O's. These absolutely work. But the reason they work is the intent behind it. It's not like these attorneys are sitting there with a master plan and just kind of coldly going through this. They genuinely want to help people. They're asking questions from a genuine point of caring. They're honestly listening to the answers. They're having an honest conversation where they've put their sales first, their agenda kind of aside. They're working their plan, they're working the process, they're asking their questions, but the intent is always to help the other person. I want to make sure that comes through because sometimes, you know, as we're just talking about it without context, people might get the wrong idea. And a, and a great way to think about it too that really resonates with lawyers is 
Think about it like a trial. And what are you trying to accomplish as a prosecutor in a trial? You're looking to gather evidence. Evidence for what? Evidence to convict. All we're looking for in this meeting is evidence that there's a fit, evidence that the, that the GC that you're talking to has problems that are not solvable with their current firm. They're solvable by you. If they are, keep going. If they're not solvable by you, then you're the wrong person. You should be referring that, that, that GC or someone up to someone else. But in many cases, they're coming to you because you're, you're already starting out as a potential good fit and you're just evaluating it further, getting more evidence that there's a good fit here and qualifying that, in fact, they agree and that they see that there's a fit too. So getting those compelling reasons, step one, getting commitment that they're willing and able to change, step two. Step three qualifier is decision maker. So as the years have gone on in the last I don't know, 15, 20 years, the depth of decision makers within organizations, even within families has, has deepened, right? So you're talking to a husband, but you don't have the wife. You're talking to a GC, but you don't have the CEO, the CFO. There are more layers than there've ever been. So while I like to just trust that the person that has CEO across their shirt is the decision maker, that's fine. But I also say trust, but verify. So there are some questions we need to ask in the decision-making process that helps us to evaluate that, in fact, they're real, okay? The simplest question is, um, so Bob, other than yourself, is there anyone else that's going to be involved in making a decision to change law firms? And then zip it and wait. Now that person might say, well, Steve, I'm the, you know, I'm the GC of this, of this company. It's, you know, clearly, you know, you're, you and I are meeting for the reason I'm the, the person who makes those decisions. So most attorneys would just take that as law and move on and say, great. And here's my proposal. I would suggest one more question. And I would say it like this. I'd say, that's fantastic. Do me a favor, Bob, would you just share with me the process that you're going to go through from this moment on to, to, to making a decision and how that works within your organization, within, you know, he might say, I make the decision. Uh, the process is I get your proposal. I sign off on it and we're done. Or he might say, well, you know, we have a board that we report to and I've got a CEO I've got to bring this to. And, and there's a number of people in the mix, but ultimately, you know, they take my word and, you know, if I want to change firms, that's fine. So now I'm a little less convinced, right, Alay? Like now I've, I've heard some things that give me a little bit more hesitation so I'm either thinking, can I get in front of that CEO, that CFO, the board, or do I need to ask some more questions to try to ferret out what their involvement really is? Is it a rubber stamp if I want it? If as the GC, I make the decisions, I just need to run it by people and it's a rubber stamp, or are there really other layers? Like for example, let's say the CEO is the one who brought in the other, the current firm and has the relationship with the current firm now. And I've only been here a couple of years. So I go to the CEO and say, I want to change firms. And he's, well, my best friends are over there. No, we're not changing firms. All the work and all the time we've put in is for nothing because that CEO is, is locked in on the firm that has been used for many, many years. So these are the details that get skipped and missed and dropped because lawyers, again, haven't been taught um, how to run a meeting and how to qualify and how to ask these questions in a certain way. And it's not just about asking the questions. They have to be asked in a certain way. Because if I say, for example, um, well, you're clearly not the decision maker, Bob. Uh, you know who is? Well, that's that's the end of the meeting. You know that person's offended, and we're done. But saying something like, you know, just out of curiosity, Bob, you know, in addition to yourself, is there anyone else that sometimes gets involved in these kinds of meetings? I mean, that's a very different way to ask the same question. 
But the second way is going to keep me in the meeting. First way is going to get me punched in the face <laughs> right. and kicked out. Right. <laughs> so, so that's a really important step is, is to, to understand that, that decisions are made at multiple levels by multiple people. In some cases, we need to qualify that. Yeah. And I think what's coming through as you talk about uh, making sure the right people are engaged and engaging them in the right way, and then also digging into need is really digging deep, not taking their first response or their second or their even their third, but digging really deeper than that. Again, with the, with the mindset of, look, I'm just trying to understand kind of what's going on so we can move this thing forward in the best possible way, being gracious about it, but also continuing to be persistent and to ask those questions. Um, there's a, a, a shortcut uh, for things that I look at called banter, right? BNTR, budget, need, timing, and then who's responsible in the relationship. And uh, everything that you're talking about here, Steve, is just a masterclass on asking great questions and digging deep. Your book is called Legal Business Development Isn't Rocket Science. Uh, and Steve, that's available on Amazon.com. Yeah, it is. And congratulations once again on becoming an international best-selling author for that book. So attorney entrepreneurs, if you're listening now and you're looking to sharpen your business development game, and quite honestly, who isn't, pick up Legal Business Development is a Rocket Science by Steve Fretz, and you're going to get some great insights. We'll come away with at least one, two, or three powerful tips that'll make it well worth your while to do that. And check out the Be That Lawyer podcast. Uh, it's very insightful, very energizing and again, if you're into business development, you're going to get a lot from it. Steve, if people want to reach you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, easiest way is just to go to my website, fretzin.com. It's F is in Frank, R-E-T-Z-I-N.com. Uh, you can also email me at steve at fretzin.com. And I think those are the two best ways to get me. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much for being a lawyer business advantage today. Thanks, Alay. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Lawyer Business Advantage podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. And I want to hear from you. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of this episode. And if you are a solo or an owner of a small law firm, and you're looking to earn more money, attract better clients, or reduce your stress, we would love to talk with you to see how we can help. Request your free law firm assessment by visiting lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. Again, that URL is lawfirmsuccessgroup.com. We look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. My name is Ale Yajnik. Until next time, remember, you can seize freedom. You can embrace happiness. You can build your perfect practice.